I can't tell you how encouraging it is to be able to assemble here and to be able to worship with you and to look out and see such a great number here to worship God with us today. I want to issue you a challenge one more time, and that is to um, make your plans to be here for the weekend coming up for our Rise workshop, but particularly uh, as we begin this Thursday evening. I want you to know that so far we have something to the tune of 150 people who are not members of the congregation who have uh, registered and planned to come and be with us. And there will be more because inevitably not everyone registers. But do you realize that if, um, if our membership, uh, if, if all of you can come and can be here with 150 to 200 more people, we'll pack the building. And we'll have a period of singing at 7 o'clock on Thursday evening, and then we'll have a lesson at 7.45. Brother Wade Webster will be preaching. And I want to tell you also, you may be wondering, why the word arise? And the reason why we chose the word arise is because we recognize the need to arise and meet the challenges that exist in our world in the day and time in which we live. And it would be difficult for me to think of one more important and more challenging and more timely than what the Bible has to say about our families and our homes and how the world attacks what the Bible has to say about those things. So Thursday evening, we'll begin the weekend studying about the family with a lesson simply called God Made the Family. And I know it's going to be good, and I know that we're going to be benefited by being here. So if you can, please come and be with us Thursday evening and throughout the weekend as you're able And uh, we'll be encouraged, and we'll worship God together, and we'll learn a great deal about what God has to say about our families. It's going to be a good time, so be here if you can. In Judges chapter 17 and verse 6, the Bible says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I suppose that that passage, better than any other passage in in the book of Judges, summarizes so well the terrible period that is described in the pages of that book. We're looking and we're reading in that book about a time in which literally man was his own judge, or at least he thought, a time in which everyone ignored any certain set standard from God and lived according to whatever way and whatever standard he chose to live by. And when you stop and think about it for a moment, it's pretty clear that really man hasn't changed all that much. In fact, as we go on in the pages of the Old Testament beyond the book of Judges, we continue to see the same type of tendency and desire in man to live by his own rules and to be governed by his own dictates. Take, for example, 1 Samuel chapter 8. In that chapter, the children of Israel, they cry out to Samuel and they say, Samuel, we want you to anoint a king over us so that we can be like all of the other nations. And you may remember that Samuel didn't take that very well and he went to God because of it. And God said, Samuel, they've not rejected you, they've rejected me, so give them what they ask. The irony of the request is that they already had a king and his name was Jehovah. But they rejected him, their king, and they wanted someone else so that they could do what they wanted and so they could live in the way that they wanted to live. But the Proverbs writer says in Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. 
And he also says in Proverbs 14, verse 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So in every age, in every dispensation, in every time period throughout the history of man, whenever man does his best to live according to his own wisdom, and whenever man tries to become his own authority and do whatever it is that he wants to do, it always fails. It always results in ruin because it is a rejection of the authority of the God who created us and who cares for us and through his word gives us everything that we need in order to live an abundant life here, John 10 and verse 10, and live life eternally with him as well. So it is so important that we recognize and bring ourselves under the authority of God and particularly this morning as we study the authority of Jesus Christ. I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 5, and I want us to zoom in on two verses in John 5 today, verse 22 and 23, and I want us to just uh, use these two verses as a guideline to take some points that pertain to recognizing the authority of Jesus Christ. In this chapter, in the first 10 or so verses, Jesus heals a man at the pool of Bethesda. He's a blind man, and the Bible tells us that after his healing, the Jews began to persecute Jesus in John 5 and verse 16, not because he had healed the man, but because he had healed the man on the Sabbath day. And so Jesus begins to talk to them about how, verse 17, my father has been working until now and therefore I have been working. And so they sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So for the remainder of the chapter, Jesus will basically do two things. First of all, he will talk about the authority that has been given to him, and he will talk about it in two areas. His authority to give life and his authority to judge. And then as the chapter comes to a close, beginning in verse number 31, he will talk about four witnesses that testify to the fact that he is exactly who he says that he is, and he has the power and the authority that he says that he has. Now I want you to look with me at John 5, verse 22 and 23, and I want us to break these two verses down and gather some points of application from them. Jesus says this, For, as the, fa for the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. What can we learn from these two passages by way of principle? First of all, we can learn that the Father has given authority to Jesus. That's John 5 and verse number 22. For the Father judges no one, Jesus says, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Now let's talk first of all about what that passage says, about what kind of authority is mentioned in the passage. He's talking about the authority to judge. In uh, the same chapter, elaborating on it, in verse number 27, he'll make this statement. That he has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. The Bible has a great deal to say about the authority that God has given his son Jesus Christ to judge. We think about Matthew chapter 25 verse 31 to 46. And in that chapter we have this scene of the judgment day that is painted for us by our Lord himself. And in that scene, Jesus describes himself sitting upon the throne of judgment and upon that throne, all people come before him and he judges them and they are divided to the right and to the left, the sheep and the goats, and Jesus is the one who does it. 
In Acts chapter 17, verse 30 and 31, as the Apostle Paul concludes a great sermon that he has preached to a number of Gentiles, to a number of pagans in Athens on Mars Hill, he makes this statement. He says that the times of this ignorance God has winked at, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in the which he will judge the world by that one uh, in righteousness, by that one whom he has ordained. Notice there are a few things that happen in verse 31. First of all, the apostle Paul confirms for us that there will be a judgment. He says that God will judge the world. Second of all, he tells us that God is going to judge the world in a way that is fair, in a way that is right. It's the standard of judgment, if you will. God doesn't do anything wrong, and he doesn't do anything unjust. He said he's going to judge the world in righteousness. And then third, he tells us that he's going to do that by Jesus Christ. There is the fact of judgment, and then there is the method of judgment, and then there's the medium of judgment. He will judge, he will judge righteously, and he will judge through his son. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 10 that we will all stand before the judgment bar of Christ. And in 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 7 to 10, the apostle Paul talks about the coming, the second coming of the Lord. And he talks about those who are troubling the Lord's people and how on the day of judgment the tables are going to be turned. He says, to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven in flaming fire, taking vengeance on all of those who know not God and who obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will be punished with everlasting destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power forever. God has given Jesus Christ the authority to judge, but there's more in John 12, 48, the passage that was read for us a moment ago. The Bible tells us that God has given Jesus the authority to judge and that Jesus is going to judge according to his word. He says, the word that I have spoken to you, the same will judge you in the last day. Stop for just a moment and imagine being back in high school or college or if you're already there, just imagine being in the classroom and the teacher walks in on the first day and says, listen, you're going to have one exam. It's going to be a final exam. And this exam is going to be pass or fail. And that's, all, that's the only thing that's going to determine your passing or failing this class is what you do on this exam. And then the teacher proceeds to give you the exam on the first day of class with all of the answers. And so all you have to do is memorize the answers that are on the page and be able to reproduce them on the day that the test is given. You realize that when we hold the Bible in our hands, that God has basically given us the answers to our final exam. It's a pass or fail exam. We're either going to be found acceptable in the sight of God when the day of judgment comes, or we're not. And the deciding factor is going to be whether or not we lived according to the words that Jesus Christ has given us. The New Testament, the Bible, which is our rule and our authority and our guide for life. The Bible says that God has given Jesus the power, the authority to judge, but he's also given Jesus the power or the authority to give life. Look at John 5 and verse 21. Jesus said, For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Look at John 5 and verse 26. Jesus said, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. Go all the way back to the beginning of the book of John and read in John chapter 1 and verse number 12. 
And notice that in a context where the Bible is describing the coming of the word into the world and how those who were his own received him not and reject him, yet to those who received him, he says, he gave the right, he gave the power, he gave the ability to become sons of God. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life in John 14 and verse 6, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Have you ever wondered what gave Jesus the ability or the right to make that statement? Why is Jesus able to say, if you want to go to heaven, the only way that you're going to be able to do that is through me? Why can he do that? Because he's the Son of God. And because God has given him authority and power, and God has given them him the right and the ability to make that statement. He has the authority to judge. He has the authority to give life. He has the authority to rule as king. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, spoke of the coming of the Lord into the world, and he lists a number of things that are descriptive terms of Jesus Christ, wonderful, mighty God, counselor, prince of peace, among a number of other things. But he also says in those two verses that he is going to have the government upon his shoulders that he is going to rule as the seed of David who sits upon his throne. And Luke confirms for us in Luke chapter 1, verse 32 and 33, that that's talking about Jesus. That Jesus, or that God rather, is going to give him the rule. He's going to give him the throne of his father David. And upon that throne, he's going to rule. So when we talk about Jesus ruling as king over his kingdom, Acts 2 and verse number 36 We're talking about the fact that Jesus has been made both Lord and Christ, that he's been given given ruling power over his kingdom, which according to Ephesians 1 verse 20 to 22 is his church, which is his body, over which he's the head. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 18. That means that as members of the body of Jesus Christ, as members of the church of Jesus Christ, that there isn't anyone in this world who has the ability to issue rules and dictates as to how we're supposed to worship and how we're supposed to live and what we're supposed to do. That means that there isn't any human being in this world, not even the Pope of Rome, that we're supposed to give any sort of allegiance to. But what it means rather is that Jesus alone is Lord and Jesus alone has the power and the ability to dictate doctrine and to dictate practice. And what we do is we bow our knee to the ruler and the king of the kingdom and we do what he says and what he says only. That's because Jesus has been given all authority. And notice, by the way, in John 5 and verse 22 that Jesus not only indicates that he has authority, but that authority has been given to him. Remember what he said in Matthew 28 and verse 18? All power or all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. And he's going to have that authority until the end, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 to 28, where Paul describes that time at the end of all things when Jesus will give the kingdom back to the Father and he'll give authority back to the Father and he will be in submission to the Father, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20 to 28. And so until that time... Jesus has all authority. There's no question about it. But that's not the only thing that these verses teach us. Look closer at John 5, verse 22 and 23. Not only does this passage teach us that Jesus has all authority and that the Father has given it to him, but it also teaches us that we have the responsibility to honor that authority. Look at verse 23. He begins with a purpose word, that. Well, what's the purpose? that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father that sent him. The word honor 
has to do with holding in high regard or having great respect. So in other words, not only must we recognize the authority, the ruling power that Jesus has been given to judge and to give life and to rule his king over his kingdom and head over his church, but we must hold him because of that power in high regard and with great respect. So you might ask, well, how can we do it? Here's one way. We can honor and respect the authority and the power of Jesus Christ simply by honoring and respecting the word of Jesus Christ and the power that is in that word. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, the Hebrews writer makes this statement. He says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Notice those two verses and notice that the Bible affirms to us that there's only one way that God speaks to people today, and that is through his Son, Jesus Christ. But then notice passages like John 14 and verse 26. Jesus made a statement there to the the apostles. And he said this, he's talking about the comforter, the Holy Spirit when he comes. And he says when he comes, he's going to guide you into all truth. And he's going to bring to your mind or to your remembrance all the things that I have said or all the things that I have taught you. And then in John 16, verse 12 and 13, he said to the apostles, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. Um, He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. So Jesus says to the twelve, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And when he comes, he's going to bring to your mind, not words that he's created all on his own. But he is going to bring to your mind the words that the Father speaks. He's going to bring to your mind those words that he's been given authority to give. And then you, by virtue of the fact, or or by, I should say, uh, as a result of that, you're going to begin to preach and you're going to begin to teach. And the words that you preach and that you teach, they're not going to be your words. They're going to be my words. They're going to be the words which the Holy Spirit gives you. They're going to be words which bear divine authority. Where do we find those words? Whenever we open our Bibles and we open up the pages of Scripture, we're reading a book that is inspired of God, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. It's a book that contains words, every word, every syllable has literally been given by the breath of God. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter 1, verse 20 and 21, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Now you might be wondering, what what prophecy of Scripture? Is that talking about telling the future. No. When the Bible talks about prophecy, it's talking about one who is a fourth teller of God's word. And so when he talks about prophecy of scripture, he's talking about the words of scripture that we hold in our hands. And when he says it's not of any private interpretation, he's not talking about a clergy laity type of situation where only some people have the ability to read it and understand it. No, he's talking about origin. He says no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, meaning that the men who sat down and wrote the words of Scripture, those words did not originate in their minds. They came from the Holy Spirit. Verse number 21. They spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So whenever we open our Bibles and whenever we read these words, we're reading words that bear the weight of divine rule or divine authority Now, we don't live under the Old Testament law anymore, Colossians chapter 2. We live under the New Testament law. So the Old Testament words, of course, are inspired of God, and they bear within them the full weight of divine inspiration. But the authority under which we live is the authority of of the New Testament. 
The Bible will refer to it as the gospel of Christ. And in passages like 2 John verse 9 to 11, the Bible will tell us that if anyone comes to you and uh, rather if anyone transgresses and goes beyond the doctrine of Christ, that's not talking about just the words that Jesus himself spoke. That's talking about the entire law, the entire system, the entire New Testament that belongs to Jesus, that the Holy Spirit inspired. If anyone transgresses and goes beyond those things, then the Bible says he has not God. And what's worse, in Galatians 1, verse 6 to 11, the Apostle Paul says that if anyone brings any other gospel than that which is given to us that we hold in our hands, that that person is accursed. And he repeats it. He says it twice. And so it ought to catch our attention. It's for emphasis. When we read the words of New Testament Scripture, we're reading words that hold the full weight of divine authority. Words that are absolutely true according to John 17 and verse 17 because they're truth and they belong to Christ and they're inspired of God. And so if we're going to honor and respect the authority of God, then we're going to do so by recognizing the authority and the power that resides in the words of New Testament Scripture. And we're going to do so by submitting ourselves to what this Scripture says, by doing what it says, by obeying His Word. Colossians 3 and verse 17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ or by the authority of Jesus Christ, giving honor and thanks to God the Father by him. We honor Christ when we obey his word. Jesus said in Luke 9 and verse number 23, If anyone will come after me, let him take up his cross, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and let him follow me. He's talking about followership. He's talking about discipleship. He's talking about self-denial. And he wants us to recognize that that's the way that we're going to honor the Father. That's the way that we're going to honor the Son, by denying ourselves and by following him sacrificially. In Luke chapter 18, verses 18 to 23, there's a discussion between Jesus and one who is described as the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he asks him a question saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that's God. He says, You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. And so Jesus heard this and he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when he heard this, he was... He became very sorrowful because he was very rich. I want you to think about that conversation just for a moment and ask yourself this question. What happens when the Jesus of Scripture is very different from the Jesus that we imagine exists in our our own mind? We often have expectations and we often imagine what things are going to be like and what uh, they might require of us just by way of quick example. I would imagine that everyone in here that's married had some sort of expectation or some sort of mindset about what marriage was going to be like before they were actually married. And then when you're married, you begin to realize that what you thought it was going to be and what you expected it to be, very, very different from the reality of what it actually is. That's not to say that it's bad, it's just to say that it's different. Sometimes people, as people, we do that with our Lord. We have this mindset or this idea of what Jesus is or who he is rather and what he'll require and what it'll be like to live for him and to serve him and then we open up our Bibles and we read about who he really is and about what he really requires and the reality is different from what we thought and then we have to make a decision 
Are we going to bring ourselves in line with what he says and what he wants and respect his authority by, uh, and honor his authority by obeying him in the way that he wants to be obeyed? Or will we turn our back on him and will we reject him and we, will we simply still, like those in the book of Judges and like those in Israel in 1 Samuel 8 and so many others, will we simply do what we want to do and follow him in the way we want to follow him? If we do that, we choose to dishonor him. What do we learn from John 5, verse 22 and 23? We learn that Jesus has all authority and that God has given it to him. We learn that we must honor it, we must respect it, and the way that we do that is by respecting his word, by obeying his word, by not adding anything to it or taking anything away from it, but rather doing exactly what it says and the way that it says to do it. But we also learn that to dishonor the son is to dishonor the father. A couple of chapters later in John chapter 8, we have one of the longest discourses uh, that are recorded uh, from the mouth of our Lord. And I want to read to you just a small portion of it in John chapter 8 beginning in verse 42. Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. You were of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks, uh, when he speaks uh, a lie, he speaks of his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convict me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. The passage that was read for us by Josh at the beginning of our lesson, John chapter 12, verse 44 through 48, you remember how Jesus equates his words with the words of the Father, and he lets us know that the things that he speaks, he speaks because the Father gives those to him, authorizes him to speak them. If we see Jesus, we see the Father. If we hear Jesus, we hear the Father. If we honor Jesus, we honor the Father. If we obey Jesus, we obey the Father. If we reject Jesus... We reject the Father. And that's what's going on with the unbelieving Jews. That's what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 8, verse 42 and following. And the reason why they rejected him, he said, is because you have a different father. And that father is the devil. I want to submit to you that that truth still applies even today. If a person is not willing to honor the authority of Jesus Christ and submit themselves to his will, then that person, that person is dishonoring God, and really God is not their father. The devil is their father. That's what Jesus says. I certainly wouldn't want that to be said about me, and I know that you wouldn't want that to be said about you either. So what's the solution? Listen to what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 and following. He talks about the example of Jesus as being a humble servant. And here's what he says. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name, or the name rather, which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow and every tongue should confess. Of those of heaven and those of earth and those under the earth. That Jesus Christ is Lord. And here it is. To the glory of God the Father. I want Jesus, or I want God rather to be my father. The Bible says in 1 John 3 and verse number 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. 
It's a great privilege to be called children of God. It's a great privilege to be able to bow our heads and come to our knees and address our Heavenly Father as just that, our Father in Heaven. The way that He becomes our Father, the way that He is glorified, is by our submission to His Son and by our obedience to His will and by our recognition of His authority. John 5, verse 22 and 23. Now this morning, the only question that's left to ask is whether or not you and I recognize and honor the authority of Jesus Christ. And again, the way to do that is to obey him, to respect his word, and to do what it says. The scripture says that that God's desire is for all people to become New Testament Christians. And that God has said the way to do that is to believe in the deity of Jesus and to repent of sins and confess faith and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins. If you're ready to do that this morning, then we're ready to help you do it. But maybe today you're a Christian, and as you think about your life and you're being honest with yourself in evaluating how you've thought and how you've lived, it becomes clear to you that you've not respected and honored the authority of Jesus because you've not respected and honored his word, and it's not been put into practice in your life. If that describes you this morning, then make it right. Come back. Be what God wants you to be. And if we can help you to do it, please come forward as we stand and sing the invitation song together.